In a previous session, we talked about a history of mistakes done by evolutionists, a, a history of giving inaccurate information. Sometimes this was due to a lack of knowledge, but most of the time is due to a commitment to teaching evolution rather than teaching good science. We also saw that because of this commitment to evolution, it has hindered scientific progress. Now, some of the mistakes we talked about last week were Piltdown Man, Nebraska Man, two famous intermediate links, coelacanth, a creature that was between fish and amphibian, the fact that we're supposed to have 97% or 98% junk DNA in our bodies, vestigial organs, leftover organs from our evolutionary days, Archaeoraptor, the famous creature, transition between dinosaur and bird, the famous Miller experiment, the origin of life, origin of stars, we talked about chimps and humans are only supposed to have 2% difference in our DNA. And finally, we, the last one we talked about was the biggest mistake of all, the rejection of truth. Well, welcome to Creation Radio and TV. I'm your host, Mike Riddle, and today we're going to talk about 10 more big mistakes made by evolutionists. And let's start with number one, dinosaurs. And what we're told is dinosaurs died out about 65 million years ago. Now, how did that happen? Well, the claim is a meteor came down and struck the earth in the Mexico Peninsula about 65 million years ago and killed all the dinosaurs and many other creatures. Well, does this agree with observable science? And the answer is no. You see, what we find all over the planet today are what we call petroglyphs. Those are canyon wall carvings and paintings that resemble dinosaurs. Now, why is that so important? Well, in modern days, our scientists didn't know what dinosaurs were until the 1800s. But yet these pictures, which resemble dinosaurs, date before the 1800s. Good evidence, somebody had to see them still living. Also, on many dinosaur bones today, we are finding soft tissue, red blood cells, and proteins. Why is that important? Well, because those pieces, red blood cells and proteins, break down in just thousands of years, not 65 million years. So the fact that we're finding soft tissue and proteins on dinosaur bones is powerful evidence. Dinosaurs have only been dead a few thousand years, not millions and millions of years. Also, we can go to the Bible, and we see in Genesis chapter 1, then on day six, God created people, Adam and Eve, and he also created the land animals, which are dinosaurs, on the same day. So the Bible starts off teaching that dinosaurs and people lived at the same time. Also, we can go to the book of Job, chapter 40, verses 15 through 18, and God is describing a very interesting creature to Job called Behemoth. And he talks about this creature being a plant eater. Then he says he has bones like bars of iron and a tail like a cedar, which is a very large tree. So right there, the Bible is giving a pretty good description of what we believe was a dinosaur. And we see that dinosaurs were living at the same time as people. And we see the evolutionists are making up stories again. And this is brought out, in, again, in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, where we read, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. The whole idea that dinosaurs died out 65 million years ago is nothing more than a fable. It does not agree with real science. So that's mistake number one. 
Let's go to mistake number two. We are commonly told and taught in our schools that large canyons take long periods of time to form. Well, that is not true based on the observable evidence. We can go back to 1980, Mount St. Helens, a volcano in the state of Washington. On May 18, 1980, that volcano blew up. And the results of that volcano was tremendous devastation in the entire area. Many layers of sediment were put down over a short period of time. Then in 1982, the mountain erupted again. And because of that eruption, a large canyon was formed. A canyon about 1 40th the scale model of the Grand Canyon. And this canyon had many of the same geologic formations we find in the Grand Canyon. The question is, how long did it take to make that large canyon? And the answer is, one day. In other words, long ages are not required for what we observe out there. Therefore, anyone teaching that long ages are required for big canyons to form is really not teaching anymore. They're telling fables again. We go right back to 2 Timothy 4, 3, and 4. Well, now let's go to our third big mistake, and that is called antibiotic resistance. We're commonly told that our bacteria become resistant to some of our best antibiotics, and that is evolution happening right in front of our eyes. Well, this again turns out to be another big fable. You see, there's three things that are happening here. Number one, some of the bacteria already have a resistance. What the evolutionists never explain is where did that original gene come from for that resistance? They never talk about that. Secondly, there's something very interesting that happened in some bacteria. They can transfer their genes to other like bacteria. It is called horizontal gene transfer. That's where, they, again, they transfer their genes to other like bacteria. And in doing so, they can transfer a gene that will give them a resistance to a specific antibiotic. The question is, or what never gets answered is, where did that original gene come from? That whole idea is simply swept under the rug. And there's a third thing that can happen that can cause this resistance to our antibiotics. And that is called mutations. Yes, mutations do occur. Now, what is happening here? How do antibiotics work? Well, what they do in order to kill the bacteria is a cell is disrupted from its normal function. Something happens inside that cell that causes the protein in there that carries the antibiotic in to no longer function properly. So the antibiotic that bonds to that protein does not work and does not carry it in. And because of this, the bacteria do not die. So the problem here is this is not due to any new information being given or accredited there. What is caused here is a loss of functionality due to the mutation. You see, evolution requires a gain in information, and that is simply not working here. No new information is happening. What is happening is, because of this mutation, is a loss of functionality. The protein no longer works properly, and the bacteria survive. So that is not evolution. That is, again, another example of 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, telling fables rather than real science. We can also see this in some of what the scientists are saying. Here's a quote from a gentleman who has his PhD in human biology, and he states, about four in 10,000 of known mutations are presumed to be beneficial.
However, these are only beneficial in a very narrow sense, since they involve a loss of function. Not one of these mutations unambiguously created new information. Now, here's another gentleman who has his Ph.D. in physical chemistry, and he states, All the alleged proofs of evolution in action do to date do not show the functional new information is added to genes. Rather, they involve sorting and or a loss of information. So, this, again, this whole idea of bacteria resistance is not due to anything new. It's due to a loss. Now let's go to big mistake number four, life in outer space. We are commonly told there must be life in outer space. This universe is so vast and there must be so many other planets out there and some of these planets must be Earth-like. Therefore, it is arrogant not to believe there's life in outer space. Well, there's some major problems with this. The first problem is no one's ever observed life anywhere else in this universe. So it's not even a fact, it's not even a theory, it's just an assumption based on the universe is so big. But we can turn to life on this planet. Couldn't life really happen on this planet by spontaneous generation or by random chance? Well, the answer is no. You see, life cannot start in the presence of free oxygen in the atmosphere. Why? Because oxygen destroys chemical bonds. We also know that life could not start if there was no oxygen in the atmosphere, because if there's no oxygen, we also have to take away the ozone, which is made out of oxygen. And if there's no ozone, the ultraviolet rays of that sun will come down and destroy all life or any potential life. We also know, based on observable and repeatable science, life cannot start in water. Why? Well, we need water to survive, but at the molecular level, water destroys chemical bonds. So there are three major problems for life starting by naturalistic processes. But we saw in a previous session that there's a bigger problem. See, life requires what we call only left-handed amino acids. Now, amino acids are what make up proteins. And there's anywhere from 50 to thousands and thousands of amino acids in every protein. And these amino acids came in two shapes, left-handed and right-handed, just like we have a left and right hand. They're not quite the same. They're mirror images. But here in life, all proteins, all biological proteins, are made up of 100% left-handed amino acids. But the natural occurring processes always tend to bond left and right. So there's no scientist on this planet that can figure out why life only has left-handed amino acids. Again, the natural tendency is to bond left and right-handedness. The conclusion here is, if life can't start here, why do we think it can happen anywhere else? Based on scientific evidence, life cannot happen by random chance processes. It takes an intelligent designer. So once again, the whole idea of life starting by random chance processes is another example of 2 Timothy 4, 3, and 4, just a fable. Now let's go to big mistake number five, called the peppered moth. Evolutionists used to use this as a clear example happening right in front of us, evolution. Well, what's so significant about these? Well, these peppered moths come in two different shades, one very light and one very dark. And the birds happen to like to eat these peppered moths. And the pepper moths were supposedly landing on these trees where the bark was light. 
So the birds would easily see the dark ones because the light ones blended in with the lighter bark on the trees. So we had a big population of light-colored moths rather than the dark ones because <coughs> the birds were eating all the dark ones. Then came the Industrial Revolution and all the carbons and soot got out in the atmosphere and the bark on the trees turned a darker shade. Now the dark moths are better camouflaged, so the birds start eating the light ones. And due to this population shift in color from light to dark, the evolutionist said, here is an example of evolution. Well, folks, that again is a clear example of 2 Timothy 4 and 3, 4, just a fable. The question is, what did we start with? Light and dark colored moths. What did we end with? Light and dark colored moths. Nothing new was added at all. You see, evolution requires new information, and nothing was added here. So, no evolution. Well, let's go to big mistake number six, and I call this the monarch butterfly. And this was taught as evolution, a caterpillar transforming itself into a monarch butterfly. Well, again, here we have another example of 2 Timothy 4, 3, and 4, nothing more than a fable. You see, here's what's happening. An adult lays an egg, and this egg is a very tiny, tiny little egg. Now, this caterpillar, as it begins to grow, reaches maturity in about 20 days. That's pretty fast out there. And it grows from a little, about one-tenth of an inch up to almost two inches long in 20 days. Now, here's something rather amazing. In those 20 days, this caterpillar increases its weight about 2,700 times. Can you imagine increasing your weight 2,700 times? We wouldn't fit in our home anymore, that's for sure. Well, that's the most, not the most incredible thing. Once this caterpillar reaches maturity, it finds a very special kind of plant and builds this little silk pad on the bottom of this plant. And then it begins to hang there in a J position, and it hangs there for about six hours. Then you'll see the caterpillar start to do a little cyclic movement. And when it starts to do that, that means it's going to start building the chrysalis. Now, builds this chrysalis from the head back. And what happens next is the most amazing thing of all. Once this caterpillar is inside that chrysalis, the entire caterpillar, everything except the heart, dissolves itself into a green liquid. Now, might I give you a homework assignment here? Tonight, try dissolving yourself into a green liquid. What would you do next? Well, that's the end of your existence. That's the end of you. You're going to remain a green liquid. Why? Because you have no instructions how to reassemble yourself. See, for this caterpillar, after it dissolves itself into a green liquid, it completely reassembles itself into a monarch butterfly. See, this doesn't happen by random chance. This requires pre-programmed instructions. Even if evolution worked, it can't see into the future. It can only work for the here and now. Again, this requires pre-programmed instructions. Evolution can never do this. This requires an intelligent designer, not evolutionism. You see, information is the key to life. It is the key for that caterpillar to transform itself from a green liquid into an incredible complex flying insect called a monarch butterfly. Then we can go to big mistake number seven, beneficial mutations. 
We're told by evolutionists every once in a while we have a beneficial mutation. And then through some selection process, the beneficial one gets selected. But here's the problem again, as we read in those two previous quotes. All supposed beneficial mutations, and there are some alleged mutations that do give a creature some measure of benefit, but every one of them has come due to a loss of function or a loss of information. For example, we have what's called an eyeless fish. Now, this fish lives way down deep in the ocean where there really isn't any sunlight penetrating. And it has eye sockets there, but no eyes. So the claim is this creature used to have eyes, but it lost them because it didn't need them. And that's a benefit. Well, that does tend to be a benefit. Well, first of all, we do have eye sockets there, but did they really have eyes? Well, we don't know for sure. All we see is eye sockets with no eyes there. But a loss of eyes could be a benefit. Why? Because if you have eyes and there's no sunlight there, no light, only darkness, all you can do to your eyes is poke them out when you bump into something. So a loss of eyes would be a benefit. But again, that's not a gain. In order to have real evolution happen, we have to have new information happen. This is a, another example of a loss of function, a loss of information. So again, we have another great fable. Now let's go to big mistake number eight, carbon-14 dating. We're commonly told that carbon-14 is an accurate method for dating creatures up to about 50, 60,000 years ago. But what they're not telling here again is the truth about science. See, the whole carbon-14 dating method is based on an assumption. And that assumption has over and over again been proven to be false. And because that assumption is false, the whole carbon-14 dating method is really only reliable up to about 3,000 years, not 50 or 60,000 years as our textbooks tell us. And again, there's powerful information from carbon-14 that things cannot be millions of years old or even hundreds of thousands of years old. Why? Because what we're finding in coal, and coal is organic, means it once come from living thing. And according to evolutionists, coal is tens or hundreds of millions of years old. Therefore, there should be no carbon-14 in it. You see, once something dies, all the carbon-14 in it continues to decay out. And we estimate after about 80,000 years maximum, all the datable carbon-14 has decayed out of something. But the fact is, we're finding carbon-14 in coal, which means that coal and where we find that coal can only be thousands of years old, not millions. We're also finding carbon-14 in diamonds. Now, diamonds are a very special kind of stone. Why? Because they're made up of pure carbon. And diamonds, according to evolutionists, are hundreds of millions to billions of years old. Therefore, should they have any carbon-14 still in them? The answer has to be no, if you're believing in evolutionism. However, what we're finding in samples of diamonds is that they still contain carbon-14. That means they cannot be millions of billions of years old, but again, only thousands of years. And then finally, we're now finding carbon-14 in many, many dinosaur bones. What does this mean? It means those dinosaurs cannot be dead for 65 million years. They can only be dead for a few thousand years. So the whole idea of beneficial mutations, 
carbon-14 dating, dating back accurately to 50, 60,000 years, is again another example of 2 Timothy 4, 3, and 4, storytelling or telling fables. Now let's go to big mistake number nine. We're told all real scientists believe in evolution. And again, that's nothing more than another fable. You see, all our modern science was really founded by Bible-believing Christians who did not accept evolutionism. For example, Louis Pasteur did bacteriology. Isaac Newton, discoverer of calculus. Johann Kepler, astronomy. Charles Babbage, computer science. James Clerk Maxwell, electrodynamics. Gregor Mendel, genetics. Michael Faraday, the electric generator. Rudolf Virchow, the father of pathology. And many, many more scientists, all Bible-believing Christians that discovered new areas of science and inventions. And even today, we have thousands of PhD scientists who believe that God is the creator of all things. You see them at such organizations as Answers in Genesis, the Institute for Creation Research, Creation Ministries International, and many other organizations contain PhD scientists that believe in a literal six-day creation. And many of these scientists, again, as I said, believe in that what exactly what the Bible teaches and not evolutionism. And finally, let's go to big mistake number 10. And this is probably, again, the biggest of them all. We are told by many evolutionists the Bible is simply outdated. It's just a book of fiction and cannot be trusted as real history. <clears throat> Can we tell you what has really happened here? Over many, many centuries, people have tried to burn the Bible, ban it, and outlaw it. All the way from the days of Diocletian, who was a Roman emperor, Roman emperor from 284 to 305 AD. He was even worse than Nero. He tried to kill all the Christians and burn all their books. To many modern nations and states that have tried to make their nations and states based on the idea or philosophy of atheism. People have tried to add books and subtract books from the Bible, such as the missing Gospels and other books. People have tried to tell us the Bible is simply not relevant today. For example, Time magazine once ran an article, The Bible, Fact or Fiction. And I read that article and they said the Bible is nothing more than fiction. Or the journal Newsweek ran an article, The Decline and Fall of Christian America. People have also tried to compromise God's Word by adding in the Big Bang or billions of years into the Bible. People have also tried to mock God's Word, such as the Da Vinci Code. Can I give you the track record? All those people who tried to burn it, ban it, outlaw it, mock it, compromise it in history, they're all dead. And all those people today that are mocking God's Word, trying to compromise it with evolution, or add to it, subtract it, or eliminate it, from this country, they too will also die, and God's Word will remain unchanged. As we read this in Matthew 24, verse 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And this also holds true for God's message of salvation. As we read in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we read also in Acts 4.12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which, by which we must be saved. Again, heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never pass away. Thank you, and God bless you. If these lessons had been a blessing to you, you might consider financially supporting the Ministry of Creation Training Initiative. You can do this by going to our website, creationtraining.org. Again, that's creationtraining.org. Your tax-deductible donation of just $20, $50 or more a month, or a one-time gift of any amount will make you an education partner in building an army of Christian educators who can teach the biblical account of creation and train others to be able to defend their faith and be biblically faithful to God's Word as it states in 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Thank you.